Good morning. My name is Eric. I get to be the pastor here. I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right. Man, what a great morning so far. Um, We are kicking off this brand new series called Ghost Stories, a not-so-spooky series on the Holy Spirit. And I'm excited to see what God is going to do in this series. We're going to be diving into the book of Acts and just learning more about who the Holy Spirit is. Because I think, honestly, the Holy Spirit is probably the least known and understood member of the Trinity. I think a lot of people can wrap their minds around the idea of God the Father, our creator, our redeemer, and wrap their minds around the idea of God as Jesus, who dies for us on the cross. But the idea of the Holy Spirit sometimes can, uh, I don't know, we can get a little, not sure how do we feel about that. I was a part of a church and Uh, When I got there, they jokingly, I think jokingly, said, you know, the Trinity that we believe in is God the Father, you know, God the Son, and the Holy Bible, (laughs) you know, and that was like their Trinity because they didn't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. We're like, we're just kind of ignore him. And so what we're going to do is spend some time is who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? And uh, I'm pumped about that. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter one, you know, and as we dive into there, I just want to ask anyone else ever impatient, Ever? Yeah, yeah, I, I can be impatient. I really don't like waiting in traffic anyway, yeah? Um, and man, you know what? My, my least favorite thing, I think, is waiting to get off an airplane. I don't know why that is. I think I started to get a little claustrophobic and it's like, come on, come on, come on. Like, uh, you know, and I feel like I office out of Starbucks, me and Pastor Nate, that's where we office. Free Wi-Fi for the cost of $2 a day uh, for a cup of coffee is, is a pretty good deal. But man, when I've been waiting in line for like 10 minutes, we get to the front of the line and someone doesn't know what they want after we've been waiting 10 minutes, like, shouldn't I be allowed to jump them in line, like get in front of them? Hey, let me get my cold brew, you know? Like, uh, have you ever said, have you ever said, hurry up? You know, have you ever said that to someone? Hey, hurry up. I've said it to a microwave, you know, come on, hurry up. I've said it to my three-year-old before, hurry up, which is about as effective as saying it to a microwave. Uh, it doesn't really change a three-year-old's behavior. Uh, And the truth is, I'm not always a very patient person. Like, yes, I know it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, and it's a virtue, it's super convicting, but the truth is, I'm not always the most patient person, especially when I have some kind of goal or something in front of me. Anyone else like that way, where you want to do something, you know you're supposed to do it, but the timing isn't quite right yet. Three years ago, Kristen and I, we had this dream of starting a church for people who didn't feel like they belonged anywhere. And, and we dreamed about what, what this church looked like, a dream called Mosaic Church. And we dreamed with Matt and Lauren Anderson, and Jordan and Beth Smith, and Ryan and Laura Holland, and Maria and Jimmy Harris, and Casey and Ann Harms, and my parents, Tim and Linda Lindine. And those six couples were just crazy enough to believe, to sign on, to be brave enough to, even though there wasn't any kind of service yet, but to believe that this crazy idea of Mosaic Church could exist, could become a reality. And they signed on before we even had a single worship service. And I had so many dreams for this church, but the reality is that I knew three years ago that some of those dreams, I had to wait. Because when you're starting something new, and as a new church, you're learning how to walk. And before you can run, you have to walk. And I knew, man, there were some dreams I had, and God just said, wait, wait. But waiting's hard, Right? Waiting is tough. If you're like me and you have young kids, maybe you're waiting and counting down until school starts back up. Anyone else? Hey, it doesn't make you any less spiritual. You don't love your kids any less. It's okay to you know, be excited for the structure of the fall to get here. Some of you maybe are students, high school, college, grad students, and man, you're just waiting to finish up school to get to the next phase of life. 
Maybe you're single and you're just waiting to meet that right person. Maybe you were married for years and now you find yourself single again. And you're like, man, how do I navigate these waters of being single again? This is hard. Maybe you're engaged and you're waiting to start your life together. I know some of you, you desperately want to be parents. And you are waiting and you are praying and asking God, give us a child. And man, I know that waiting is so hard. Maybe you want to quit your job and you know, man, I'm tired of working for someone else and I want to start a new business and strike out on my own, but the timing's not quite right yet. And so you're waiting. You're waiting for things to be in the right place where you can start that business that you've been dreaming about. So what do we do when we want to do something and we know it's the right thing to do, but we're just told, wait, just Wait. Well, that's what the first followers of Jesus were facing in Acts chapter 1. Jesus gives them their whole purpose of their existence. He says, I'm sending you out on a mission, a mission of love and mercy to share this good news that people can find forgiveness and hope and freedom and community. And if I'm like those first followers, I'm like, all right, Jesus, this is an amazing message. It's transformed my life. Let's go. Let's go do this. Well, one of Jesus' closest friends, his followers, was a guy named Peter. And Peter was super impulsive, always looking or leaping before looking, always jumping right into it. And I imagine when Jesus is telling them, you have this mission, go and tell people, go make disciples. I, I picture Peter like, yes, let's go. And he starts taking off running. And, you know, I just picture Jesus like grabbing the back of Peter's shirt. You know, and he, Peter's still running and Jesus holds on to his shirt. And he's like, Peter, wait. Peter's like, What? What? No, this is good news. We have to tell everyone we know that you are alive, that you really are the Messiah, that, that you have conquered death, that you have conquered sin. Why would we wait? And Jesus says, you have to wait. You have to wait. It's not the right time yet. Says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to empower you so that then you can accomplish this mission to go into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But you have to wait. And what we're going to see is that time waiting isn't time wasted. That if you are in a season of waiting on, it, on getting married again, of having a child, of quitting your job and starting some kind of business, waiting for bedtime tonight, that time waiting isn't time wasted. That's what we're going to dive into today. If you have your Bible, your Bible app, you can turn with me to the book of Acts. And as we get there, we're going to study together over the course of the next seven weeks the history of how the Holy Spirit worked in the early church. And we're going to study it not as scholars, but as soldiers. See, scholars and soldiers are the ones who tend to study history the most. Scholars want to see, hey, what did people do? And sometimes people study the Bible that way, like, what did they do? I'm very curious as a historian, as a scholar. But see, soldiers study history to see what remains to be done. There are some who study for the sake of information, but those who are soldiers study it for the sake of mission. And today, as we look into the book of Acts and God's Word, we don't want to just look for some information. We want to say, okay, God, what is the mission that you are sending us on, and what remains to be done? We want to see not just what God used to do, but what God still wants to do. Amen? We're invited to be part of the most important mission in the history of the world. I believe in all my heart that God has brought us together as a unique community 
But God chose you to live where you live so you can be a part of this mission at this time, in this city, in this year to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. See, the story the Bible tells is that our God has an enemy, but that the evil one, this evil one has taken into captivity those who are far from God. But we have this great news to tell that Jesus conquers sin, that Jesus conquers death, and that Jesus is alive and well, amen? And that is good news, that Jesus is alive and because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, that we can find forgiveness and hope and peace. And we have this mission. And we are commissioned, we are sent on mission into the world to tell others they can find freedom and hope through Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do is we're going to study the book of Acts and see how the Holy Spirit empowers us to bring hope to a dark world, to push back the work of the enemy, to set the captives free. Amen? First, we're going to say, who wrote the book of Acts? Well, it's Luke. It's Dr. Luke. Uh, most of the last year, we spent studying the gospel of Luke, written by the same Dr. Luke. This is the sequel to what we studied most of last year. And we talked about him a little bit. Dr. Luke is an amazing man. He was not actually an eyewitness to the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He's more like an investigative reporter. Luke is the guy who would go out and he would investigate. He would talk to those who knew Jesus, kids who grew up with him, family members who were still alive. He went to the places where Peter and Paul preached and where churches were planted, and he wrote it down, the work of an investigative reporter. He would talk to the eyewitnesses, gather evidence, and wrote it down into these two volumes, the Gospel of Luke and then the Book of Acts. And the book of Acts opens with Jesus' followers waiting for something to happen. And that's where we pick up our story. As, as, as we travel through the Gospel of Luke, when we see Jesus step into the mission that God gave him, and he died on the cross for our sins, and then he's getting ready to ascend into heaven, and now his followers are all waited. And this is like season two begins, and, and Dr. Luke is, is building anticipation. Acts 1, verse 1 through 5. In the first book, O Theophilus, that's who he dedicated the Gospel of Luke to. Remember, we talked about Theophilus was a while ago. Theophilus was probably a wealthy uh, patron, uh, a business person, who funded Dr. Luke so that Dr. Luke could go and travel with Peter and Paul and, and write down what they did. And because of Theophilus and because of his generosity, we have the Gospel of Luke and the, and the Book of Acts. And so even today... You who have had the gift of generosity, man, you can fund God's mission, the Dr. Luke's of the world, the Peters, the Pauls. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering, but many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait, everyone say wait, wait, for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Everyone say baptized, baptized. Next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. We're going to be baptizing people in the evening, and I'm so excited for what God is going to do. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus has been traveling and investing in his disciples for three years, telling them about this kingdom of God, that they have a mission to tell people that they can find forgiveness and hope and healing. And he's getting ready. He, he's like, okay, 
final words. I'm heading back to heaven. Here's the last thing. Wait, you're going to receive power. And the disciples are like, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? And I just picture Jesus, and it's like this long sigh, like, oh. Like three years in, it's like, really? You still don't get it. The disciples still thought Jesus was gonna free Israel politically from the rule of Rome, the superpower of the day. But here's the thing, is that the kingdom of God is not a territorial concept. It can't figure on any map. It's not anything that we see in the here and now uh, or can find on a map. See, the Holy Spirit being poured out was chief evidence that God's kingdom had been inaugurated. And the kingdom of God is his rule set up in the lives of people by the Holy Spirit. See, this mission of spreading the kingdom of God requires more than the disciples' blood, sweat, tear, more than just, just their talents, their treasure, their time. Luke is telling us in the same way that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at the beginning of his ministry in the gospel of Luke by being baptized and the Holy Spirit fell upon him to equip him for his public ministry. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is gonna fall now on Jesus' followers to equip them for their mission. I wanna ask you, have you been baptized by, in water. If you haven't yet, we want to invite you through that next Sunday. We want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus who was baptized by immersion. And, and, and we want to follow in his footsteps and be put under the water to identify Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we talked about this, that maybe you're baptized as a baby. And that's awesome. That was an incredibly significant event in the life of your parents. But Jesus invites us to say, Jesus, we publicly identify with you, and, and baptism is the way that we do that. And so if you're baptized as a baby, that's awesome. But getting baptized as an adult is a fulfillment of the hope that your parents had for you as a child. I want to ask you, have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? We're going to talk more about that next week. Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. Everyone say power. Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Everyone say witnesses. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is telling his followers to wait and then you will receive power. See, the mark of a follower of Jesus who has been filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit is spiritual authority and power. Jesus' life and his power are not just to be admired, but they're also to be experienced. Someone who's a follower of Jesus, can, who's not a follower of Jesus, can look at Jesus' life and admire it. But only someone who's a follower of Jesus can experience the kind of life and power that Jesus had. How many of you have looked at Jesus' life and thought, man, that's amazing? Like, he said no to every kind of sin. He said yes to God. He never took advantage of anyone. He never stole anything. He was never inappropriate with a woman as a single man in his 30s. He was generous. He always told the truth. He had great courage. He suffered nobly. How many of you looked at life of Jesus and you had admired it? That's good, but that's not enough. Jesus doesn't want you just to admire his life. He's not just an example of something to aspire towards. He wants you to experience his life through the person, the presence, and the power of the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. There was a Swedish chemist many years ago. He was working and he discovered this very powerful substance. And he had to call it something because when you discover something, when you invent something, you get to name it. And so he called up his buddy who was a Greek scholar and he said, hey, what's the Greek word for power. And his friend told him, it's dunamis. 
And so the Swedish chemist called this substance dynamite from that word dunamis. And that word dunamis is the same word here that Jesus used with his disciples. You shall receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What is that? It's dynamite. See, you know it when the Holy Spirit shows up, right? It's like stuff happens. When someone is using dynamite, you don't have to ask, was that dynamite over there? I'm not sure, right? Because you know, like, boom, like it goes off. Like it's, it's explosive. Like you know, oh, that's dynamite. There's no question about that. When the Holy Spirit shows up, you know it. There's power. Things happen. Lives are changed. Jesus says, when you decide to follow me and come under the presence of the Holy Spirit, you'll experience that kind of life that has that kind of supernatural God-given power. All right. I can tell I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, so I'm getting a little twitchy. So how many of you come from a charismatic Pentecostal background? Put your hand up in the air. You know you want to lift your hands. Both hands, right? That's right. <laughs> lift them up. Yeah, yep, that's right. Some of you, though, are getting a little twitchy. I can see the eye twitch starting. You're like, Eric, I've heard about the Holy Spirit. I've heard about these Pentecostal churches where the pastor wears a white suit and his wife looks like she lost a paintball war because she has makeup everywhere, right? And they take like seven offerings. Like, I don't know about this. That's why we're doing this series called Ghost Stories, all right? We want to help those of you who might get a little twitchy understand the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. The key is, though, you can't understand the power of the Holy Spirit apart from the life of Jesus. That's why we spent all most of last year studying in the Gospel of Luke and looking at the life of Jesus. And you can't really understand the person and work of Jesus without understanding that we were created to be in a relationship with God, but that we messed up and now we live under the effects of curse, but that God offers a way back into relationship through covenant. That's why we spent our whole first year as a church in the book of Genesis learning about creation, curse, covenant. And that's why in our second year, we looked at the life of Jesus in the gospel of Luke. And now as we get ready to turn three as a church, we're looking at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. So here's what Luke is telling us. Luke says, okay, Jesus lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He lives without sin. He dies for our sin. He rises from the dead to show us he has defeated the power of sin. He evidences the power of the Holy Spirit for 40 days and he tells his people, don't do ministry yet. You need power because the Holy Spirit's coming to help you be like me. The Holy Spirit's coming to help you be like me. See, here at Mosaic, we like to say, Jesus changes everything. We're all about Jesus. We want to know Jesus, be like Jesus, do the things that Jesus did. But the only way we can do that is through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Here at Mosaic, we're not going to be afraid of talking about the Holy Spirit. We're not going to be afraid of inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives so that we can live a life that looks like Jesus. It's not just for power's sake or getting weird or anything like that. It's about being empowered by the Holy Spirit to be like Jesus. Amen? That is what we want. Verse 8, Jesus tells him, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking up, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up 
from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus says, you want to be like me? You need to wait. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me and then you will be my witnesses into Jerusalem and then into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the disciples are like, this is awesome. Jesus is like, all right, you got it? Wait, receive power, and then you're going to go into all the world. And then Jesus, I just picture, you know, he's like, boom, and he just shoots up into heaven, like, right? That's how I picture Jesus, uh, not floating up. I think he did one of these, and he shoots right up to heaven, and he's flying up, and, you know, he gets up to heaven. He's given Gabriel a high five, and he's given Michael, the archangel, a high five. He's like, yeah, this is so good. I've finished my work. I've finished my mission. Like, I've, I've told them to go off onto the world, and they're going to go. They're going to take ground for me. This is amazing. They're going to spread the whole kingdom, you know, a concept, and, man, they're going to make disciples. And he looks down. He's like, how are they doing? How are they doing? And what does he see? Right? They're standing there, like just gazing into heaven. And he's like, oh man, Peter, John, James, come on, man. Like, go. Not that, now's not a time just to stand there waiting. And they're just standing there, like, oh, what's he gonna do next? You know? I think sometimes that's how we are. Like, we're just standing there. And, G- and Jesus is like, oh, come on. All right, P- Gabriel, Michael, go back down. Tell him to get going. Get going, you know? Right? And so they're standing there, like this. And then all of a sudden, Gabriel and Michael show up and they're like, guys, get to work. The same Jesus. Don't just stand there gazing up into heaven. It's not good enough just to keep your heads up in the clouds, up in heaven. You got to go. You got to go. Go wait. Go wait. And that's when they finally go. And Jesus gives them and us the biggest mission in the history of the world. And Jesus tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit's power. And as they're doing that, they do three things I think is a good example for us. They're going to gather. They're going to pray. And the result is they're going to be unified. We're going to see that time waiting isn't time wasted. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem after Jesus had to send two more angels. Go, get out of here. From the mountain called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. First thing they're going to do is they gathered. They gathered. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. They gathered in the upper room. This tends not to be very posh circumstances. Think about it. They're in this upper room. You know, no air conditioning. It's hot. It's uncomfortable. They're sitting on a metal chair in an elementary school gymnasium, right? That's, we're very biblical here. This is the book of Acts right here, right now. And here's what's super awesome is Luke mentions women being there with them right alongside the disciples. And the inclusion of women in the community would not have been missed by the original authors in the second century. They've been like, whoa, what? Men and women are gathering together and a tax collector and a zealot and all these people. This is crazy. And Luke is telling us that this community is one that breaks barriers. Here at Mosaic, that is what we want, to be a community that breaks barriers, amen? Men, women, children, upper class, lower class, those born here, those who moved here from other countries, Minnesotans, even people born in Wisconsin, can I get a witness? They are welcome here. Matt, we love you. It's okay, you're welcome here. 
Those who were born in Iowa, like me, um, we are all welcome here in Minnesota, right? Minnesotans, thank you. Yeah, we want to be a community that breaks barriers, just like the early church, that doesn't matter what you have done, doesn't matter what has been done to you, you are welcome here. Number two, they prayed. The second thing that early followers Jesus is they prayed. I want to see that praying precedes doing, that praying precedes doing. How many of you, like me, are a doer? Yeah, I like to do things, I like to get things done. If you know the Enneagram, Enneagram 3, loud and proud, here we go. What tends to happen is that there are people who pray and people who do. A lot of times there are people who pray, people who do. And a lot of times the doers just get to work. And then when we make a mistake, we're like, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Can you fix our mistakes? You know, right? Or am I the only one who's not very spiritual? Come on, come on. (laughs) Then there's other people who you pray, you love to pray, but then you don't do anything, all right? You can't just pray. You need to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Can I get an amen? Amen. The truth is God wants us to both pray and do, but praying precedes doing because we believe that nothing of spiritual significance happens without prayer. Nothing of spiritual significance happens without prayer. And when you see the time they spent praying, about 10 days, it's not wasted time. It's invested time. See, time waiting isn't time wasted. Time spent waiting and praying is time invested. Maybe you are waiting to meet the right person. You are single again. This isn't a wasted season. Invest in this time to pray, to gather with other believers, to work on yourself, to say, okay, God, who exactly is that I am supposed to be so I can meet the right person and I can know when that time is right? Maybe you're waiting to be a parent Don't consider this a season that's wasted. Pray, invest. Maybe as you're waiting for uh, your job and whatever the next season is and you you hate your job and you want to quit, don't think of this as a wasted season as you are waiting. But invest in this time, gathering with other believers, gathering with your small group, praying together. So they're gathering, they're praying, and the result is it's unifying. The word that... Dr. Luke uses here is they were of one accord, one heart, one mind. Gathering plus praying equals unifying. They gather, they pray, and they become unified. That's why it's so important for us to gather together and pray. That is why every single Sunday morning we gather over there in the lobby at 9.30 in the morning. Because gathering plus praying is unifying. That's why every Thursday morning when our staff gathers at my house, from 9 to 11, we start with 30 minutes of praying for all of you and your needs and your requests. Because gathering plus praying equals unifying. That's why our governing team, our elders, when we get together once a month, we start with praying. Because gathering plus praying is unifying. My prayer this year, is ever since we started off 2018 with 21 days of prayer and fasting and every single day. My prayer has been, God, make Mosaic a church of one accord, one savior, one mission, one vision to reach people with the good news of Jesus. And that is our prayer. As we gather, as we pray, we are unified And time waiting isn't time wasted. Time waiting and praying is time invested. 
as I wrap up this morning, I want to give a challenge to you. Next Sunday, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. And I just want to be honest, this chapter freaks me out a little bit as a pastor, because I know there's all, a lot of you have very different ideas about what that's all about. So we're going to do our best next week to, to tackle it. So come back, bring your friends, see how I do, see how much more I sweat next week. But I want this week that we are intentional to pray, to, as we wait to invest this time for next Sunday. Next Sunday night, we're going to gather as a community. We're going to eat together. We're going to gather. We're going to baptize people who are making that public declaration. Next Sunday morning, we're going to have some time at the end of the service. For those of you who want to experience more of God, and you feel like your life isn't characterized by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we're going to invite you to be prayed for and receive the Holy Spirit into your life. And so as we wait this week until next Sunday, I want to encourage each and every one of us to invest this week. And the challenge I'm throwing out there is take just a three days this week, three consecutive days, and pick a meal during those three days, whether it's lunch, dinner, breakfast, and a fast. We talked a little about this at the end of, of last year and as we started this the new year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. But there's something about as we deny ourselves a meal and instead, we don't just keep working and go about our day, but instead we use that time. We'd normally be preparing a meal, eating a meal in prayer and say, God, what do you want in me? What do you want for me? Pray for me. Pray for your pastor. Pray for our church. Pray for those in our community who need healing. Pray for those who are looking for freedom. We fast and pray to get wisdom, to know God. We fast and pray for revival, for protection and deliverance. And when we fast, bringing our physical bodies to a place of hunger, we can then feel the hunger of our spiritual souls. And the heart of fasting is sacrifice. Revival is sometimes a word that can freak people out, but revival, it just simply means, number one, it's something, it's something to be desired and prayed for. Number two, God is the source of revival. It comes from his presence. And number three, when revival comes, lost people are saved, people are delivered, God's power shows up in a supernatural way, and God's people are unified. That is something we should want and desire, amen? And so I want to encourage you, for me, it's going to be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and honestly, because we have some friends coming into town and I want to be able to feast and celebrate with them on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Just being real. And so Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday during lunch, I'm going to take that time that I normally be eating and I'll be praying. I'm going to be denying myself food so I can feel my, my physical hunger will attune me to my spiritual hunger. It isn't something that's a magic formula. It's not something that we do out of religion. But We've talked a lot that our physical bodies are connected to our minds, our bodies, our souls. It's all interconnected. And we're going to close. Uh, we haven't done this much this summer, but we're going to actually close with a song. It's a new song. And uh, I just want to encourage you, as the worship band plays the song, sing along if you'd like. We're just going to spend five minutes as we sing, waiting on God. And starting to prepare our hearts 
And my hope is that starting now until next week, we start to prepare ourselves and say, Spirit of the living God, speak to me. Help me to seek the things that you want me to seek. Help me to see as you see. Because when you move, it changes everything. Would you join me in prayer? God, our hearts and our desires are to know you. God, we wanna be like Jesus. He's our leader. He's our big brother that we look up to, our savior, our king. And so God, we know we can't do that on our own strength. And some of us are so tired of trying to do it in our own power and our own strength. So God, our prayer is as we wait for you, God, that you would come and speak to us here right now in this moment. I believe that you can speak to our hearts. God, I believe that you can reveal truth. God, I believe that chains of addiction, that chains of depression and anxiety can be broken here in this place. And God, my prayer is that the fruit of the Spirit would erupt in all of our lives. Your love, your joy, your peace, patience, your kindness, your gentleness, self-control. God, would just move into our lives. So God, as we sit, as we wait for you, the next, next couple minutes, God, I pray that this would kick off a whole week of just waiting in anticipation. And then next Sunday as we come, God, we would come expecting you to do something amazing in our lives. So be with us now, God, as we begin to wait on you. Amen. You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel. We're going to close in about five minutes, but we're just going to sing the song and pray these words, Spirit of the living God, we sit and we wait on you.